theyeshiva.net. In Yiddishkeit, we have two structures. The structure of the Mishkan and the structure of the Beis HaMikdash. Both structures were mandated by Hashem, and both of them represent places where the Shekhinah dwelled and dwells. V'asuli Mikdash, v'shachanti b'seichem. You'll make a Mishkan, a Mikdash, and I will dwell among them. And as the Gemara says, in Shavuos, Mishkan Ikri Mikdash, or Mikdash Ikri Mishkan. The word Mikdash includes the Mishkan, which is sometimes called the Mikdash. The Mikdash is sometimes called the Mishkan. <coughs> They're interchangeable. So V'asuli Mikdash says in Parshish Truman, the Mishkan. Because Mishkan Ikri Mikdash. So that's the common denominator that the word the Mishkan means from the word Shaykhin, right? Shaykhin Ad, or Vishachanti, or Shechina, which means to dwell, to come in, to rest, because it was a place of Hashras Hashchina where the divine presence dwelt. That's the common denominator between the Mishkan, which traveled with the Jews in the desert and then for a few hundred years located in Eretz Yisrael until it was replaced. The Mishnah says in sight that all the parts of the Mishkan were hidden. They weren't destroyed. They were hidden. The beams and the, the sockets and the curtains, the veils, the tapestries. The Mishkan that Moshe built was hidden. The Mishnah says the first period of Saita. And uh, it was replaced by the structure of the Beis HaMikdash. We see, however, that the structures, these two structures had a, made, had a difference had differences between them. And one of the major differences is not just the sizes were different and one was mobile and one was permanent, but it reflected a difference in theme. And that's the focus of the beginning of Oiz Gimel, of the Maimer. The Mishkan followed the hierarchy of creation. The hierarchy of our world is Medaber, Chai, Tzemeach, and Daimim. On top you have Medaber, the human being. Hashem tells Adam and Chava, Uridu, Pruervu, Milu Asaretz, Vekivshua, fill the world and conquer it. Uridu, your job is to take responsibility and ownership of the planet. The human being is responsible for the planet. Even the Gasayam, Chayas, Oifus, Kolharemus, like he says in Parshas Bereshus. You're the crown of creation, which is not only a privilege, it's more importantly a responsibility. I'm not going to discuss now global warming and climate change and human responsibility to protect the planet, but uh, <coughs> despite the fact that the issue was politicized, the concept is a critical concept that the human being is basically the mommy and tati of the planet. And the worst thing a mother or father could do is this house, I don't know, these kids, I don't know who they are. <laughs> it's not that way. You're at the center, you're the centerpiece of creation. You're connected to everything. Adam, he says in the Adam is the one who's koilo the whole bria. And therefore, connected to the whole bria. So that's the medaber. The speaking, the one who speaks. Under that is Chai, the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom are uh, under the human race, under the, under, below humanity. 
We call them balechayim. Balechayim means they have a body and they have a soul in the sense of they have consciousness and they have emotion and they have intelligence. Each animal, according to its capacity, each bird, each fish, each every animal, according to its capacity. And uh, the hierarchy of the balechayim is so deep that, again, I'm not discussing the validity of it, but to the point that there are many people who consider themselves very intelligent and sophisticated, and when they speak about chimpanzees, they call them our cousins, right? Our closest cousins. <laughs> our closest cousins. Now, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, a lot of distortion in that, and it I think it does a lot to delegitimize the dignity and the morality of human beings and their responsibility because the moment you say that a human being essentially is just an evolution of an ape so that means there's no substantial differences it's just we stand on two legs and we can do a couple of things that they don't do and we can build museums but uh, essentially it's made of the same stuff the same chemistry but the point is that the similarities are profound to the point that people could make this mistake and in terms of DNA, indeed, the differences are very, very subtle. Those subtle differences make the difference between heaven and earth, but they're very small differences. Under that, you have tzemeach. Tzemeach is the world of vegetation, of produce. Tzemeach means it grows. And that's the entire world of what we call the world of botany, the world of, uh, of produce, whether it's fruits or vegetables or legumes or bushes or shrubs or plants of all types. Here, the, today they say that there's already consciousness and emotions and plants too, but uh, which is probably true. But however, what what's visible is growth. You, you see, you see life. You see growth. A tree goes through cycles of life, and if you study it and you're aware of it, you could see the hibernation and coming back to life and death and life, there's a whole organism that functions in a very sophisticated way, like the animal organism and like the human organism, but without that display of consciousness and, and emotion and, and movement that an animal has and intelligence that a human being has. The intelligence is also there, but it's embedded in the nature of it. It's not visible in an, an outspoken way, the way it's by a person or even by an animal. And then under that you have daimim. And the word daima means silence. Right? Aaron was silent. The word daimim is silence. And what, what that represents is that it's silent. In other words, no life is visible at all. It seems, it appears lifeless. And here again, we know that if you take a microscope and you look at the rock or at a grain of sand or at a mountain, you will see internally in every grain of sand tremendous life terms of its molecular structure and atomic structure and the atoms revolving and moving in great swiftness. But what is displayed? What is displayed is just a lifelessness. A rock can sit for thousands of years. It says nothing. It doesn't move. There's no growth. It is what it is. Solid, consistent, but silent. Daimim. Unlike Tzemeach, unlike Chai, unlike Medaber. This is the hierarchy of creation and each one serves the other. The doimim serves its emeach because nothing can grow without soil. Soil is like the foundation. And afar is the classic example of doimim, earth. Earth or water or stones, avonim, these are all 
considered like the different minerals, the metals, the minerals in the earth that are not organic. That's called daimim. That serves the tzemeach. The tzemeach serves the chai because most of the animals and fish and birds in one way or another, even rodents and rodents and insects and reptiles are all using or benefiting from the afar and from the tzemeach. Eating grasses, eating plants, eating herbs and so forth. And even those animals, those animals who eat meat and other animals, but those animals are being fed from the tzemeach. And then you have the chai who serves the medaber, who is the crown of creation, serves in different ways, either the way it's after Nayak's flood, that we can eat meat or chicken or birds, or even in the sense of, of serving in terms of work, whether it's the horse or the camel or the, or, <coughs> or the donkey or the dog or the protection, whatever it is, but the human being traditionally, historically harnessed animals, sometimes justifiably, sometimes unjustifiably with cruelty to serve his or her needs. So this is like the hierarchy. Like every hierarchy, it could be productive and it could be destructive. It could be manipulative and it could be meaningful. It could be abusive and it could be dignified like any hierarchy. But that's how it works in creation. And our job is to refine it. And this is not a small thing because essentially this is the web of the planet. This is the the food, what they call the food chain, or even more the food web, revolves around this cycle and there's a very delicate balance of the ecosystem of how it works because if uh, all the chais will eat, if the chais will eat all the tzemeachs, then the other chais won't be able to survive. There wouldn't be enough oxygen. It's Everything is very delicately balanced what's consumed and what's not consumed, and the balance is extremely powerful and extraordinary so that the system could continue working. And the fascinating thing is that the Mishkan literally resembled this hierarchy because the builders of the Mishkan were people and the Kayanim who served in the Mishkan were obviously human beings. They were behind it. They were the dream, the inventors, the designers, the builders, Moshe, Salal, of course, Aliyah, etc., all the, and all the contributors. But when you looked at the Mishkan itself, if you looked at the top, you saw Chai, you saw animal height. If you went further down, down, they were draped down, the walls were made of Tzemeach, Atze Lumber, Atze Shittim. And then when you came down, if you looked down, it was earth, <laughs> because the Mishkan didn't have a floor. It was a transient floor. Wherever they were, they used the, the earth of the desert, right? The Mishkan was situated on the ground of the desert. So wherever you were, you just, the earth, that was the, that was the offer. That was the foundation. I mean, that's what you stood on. So it literally resembled the Chai, the Tzemeach, the Daim, and it was all brought together by the human beings, by the Jewish people who built it. And that essentially is a very logical structure, logical even from a spiritual point of view. That's the Mishkan. We have in Parshas Nasim in Ha'afar, Ashayir Bekarka Mishkan. From the earth that was in the Karka of the Mishkan, they would take for the Saita. You needed Afar, the Afar of the Mishkan. Where would you find it? You would look down and you would take the earth. So that's Daimim, and then up Tzemech, and then further up Chai. And of course, you had the cloud, the Shechina that dwelled in it, which represented the divine presence that brings it all together. In the Beis Hamikdash. 
which is the permanent structure, unlike the Mishkan. It's called Diras Kvash Lakadish Baruch. It's not called oil, but it's called bias, the ultimate home. The first base Hamikdash, the second base Hamikdash, and certainly the third base Hamikdash, here everything changed. And that is the hierarchy became completely different. What? Basically, Doimim rose to the top. The roof was not made of chai, it was made of stone. And the walls were not made of tzemeach, they were made of stone. And the earth also <laughs> remained diamond. In other words, what happened was, diamond was elevated. You had chai in the Beis HaMikdash, you had karbonus, you had tzemeach, but that's all in the avoida. You had meal offerings, you have animal offerings, but we're talking now on the structure. The interesting thing is Mishkan Shiloh. Mishkan Shiloh is the intermediary between the two. Between, from getting from the Mishkan to the Beis Hamikdash, there wasn't a drastic metamor, a drastic transformation. There was a Mamutza, what we call an intermediary. And an intermediary, as we learned earlier in the Maimur about the two step types of Kesser, an intermediary always has to have an element of the first and an element of the second, because if not, you can't be, you can't be a Mamutza, you can't be an arbitrator if you understand one side, you don't understand the other side. Like we know in arbitration, the worst thing you can do is, Take one side, because then you lose the trust of the other. The moment a therapist makes one side feel that he uh, that he or she likes them more and is on their side, then uh, a lot of your work is, will be undermined. Because even if the therapist agrees, even if the therapist agrees, for the for both people to be able to grow in the process, there has to be trust, and for there to be trust, the person has to make both of them feel that he really or she really understands their position. The moment you say, you're wrong, you're right, you may win the battle, but you lose the war, because if the person is not ready to hear that, even if it's true, it's usually not true, but even if it's true, uh, it's a process of trust. So that, that's the pshat, I'm a mutza. If you want to really be a middleman, <laughs> meaning if you want to be in the middle, which means you want to bring two extremes closer together, you want this side to come closer to the center, and you want this side to come closer to the center, you have to always have two lenses that can see this world and see that world and bring them together. This is an important principle in life. People sometimes try to mediate and compromise. They right away take a side. And they, you lost, you lost, uh, you lost, a, you, you lost your get, you, you lost a prize before you even started. A mamutza always needs both. And a real mamutza, therefore, is very deep because he really has to transcend both. Because in order to be able to see both, you have to transcend both. Because if you don't transcend both, then you get trapped, you get stuck. That's why it's not so easy to be a mamutza. It's, uh, the Rambam speaks about derechem tzoyis, right? The derech of Chachma is derechem tzoyis. It's not about compromise. It's not about the good therapist trying to always compromising and never taking positions. No. In order to take, bring two positions closer together when they're so extreme, you have to go to a place that transcends both of them, and therefore you can bring them together. That's why he learned before about Kesser, that Kesser is a mamutza between the Matzil and the Natsalim, between Atzilus and beyond Atzilus, and therefore Kesser has to have both components. It has to have the element of absolute infinity, and it also has to have the element of um, appreciating structure. And that's why Kesser translates into the two dimensions of Atik and Arich, of Primius and Chitzainius. You know what I'm talking about, yeah? Cooked Miran, I don't know if you're looking at me like a chimpanzee or... Uh... <laughs>
Mishpacha, cousins, our closest cousins. Ah, ah, ah. So Shiloh was the intermediary. What happened in Shiloh? As we learned yesterday from Masechta Zvachim, this time we'll get it right, <laughs> that essentially the tikra, the roof of, the, of, of, uh, of Mishkan Shiloh varied from the Mishkan, and they reflected the Beis HaMikdash in the sense that they were ma- it was made of stone, but the walls still reflected the dynamic of the Mishkan. Oh. Right, I apologize. I stand corrected. Yeah, 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 they're right. So the walls represented the Beis HaMikdash, but the roof still maintained the hierarchy of the Mishkan. So when you looked up, you saw Chai. When you come down, you would expect to see Tzimeach, but here it was replaced. It was replaced by, by the, by the, by the Avonim, right? Okay, everybody is sure? So if I guess. Where is the wood? Where is the wood? Where is the wood? The Gedenkst. In this class, we don't, we don't win by majority. Huh? We don't win by majority. Majority can help about things that you're not sure. <laughs> if it says, what's called the majority help? Majority is going to decide that the earth is flat. It's not going to make it flat. A boy once came to see me. From you want to eat yeshivas here. And he says that the Pasuk says, You have to follow the majority. That's what Hashem says. So this is 2.6 billion Catholics. <laughs> One point, uh, 1.7 billion Muslims. Yeah? How many Jews? 14 million. And among those Jews, how many Jews believe in Torah and Mitzvahs? He said, a pretty small number. He says, what happened to Achirab Lahatas? Follow the majority. <laughs> but they don't tell the ones don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and he asked it in class, and... Uh, I'm not going to tell you what happened, but it wasn't a very... Uh, it was the last question he asked in class. So he came to me. What you ask is you have to start a new issue. Huh? No, so I explained to him that Chirab Mlahatas means you have a court, they're having a legitimate debate, there's two sides of looking at it. The person is innocent or guilty, you're not sure. There's witnesses ahead, there's witnesses ahead. Did he lend him the money? Did he not lend him the money? Did he lend him $10,000, lend him $12,000? There's a debate, and this proof, that proof, that. So you have to go, Achirab Mahatus. Yeah, okay, very good, you're right. So when you looked at Shiloh, you looked at the roof, it was like the Mishkan. You looked at the walls, it resembled... The Beis HaMikdash. It resembled what would be later the Beis HaMikdash, which means it was like an intermediary. An intermediary. And the place of Shiloh, the place of the Mishkan of Shiloh was in Yosef's territory. Shiloh was Yosef's territory, thank you. So what does all of this mean? Did, uh? Yeah. 
near Shechem, yeah, close to Shechem. What does all of this represent? It's not Stam. The Mishkan was temporary, it was transient, it was mobile. So it could be made through these things. You're going to have a Mishkan of stone, and then you're going to build foundations, <laughs> and you're going to attach it to the earth in the mid, but what are you going to do? It had to be a mobile sanctuary, so the structure had to lend itself to be able to be disassembled and then assembled again. So when you have beams of wood, you can separate and put them on wagons and carry them and disassemble them and then assemble them together. The Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim was built in one place and it stood there for hundreds of years. And it was intended to be absolutely permanent. So we understand that concept. But like everything in the physical level, that itself reflects something deeper. It represents also the metaphysical structure. And that's the main point that's brought out, that we want to bring out here. And with that extra piece of information, that Cyrus, Kairish, when he rebuilt Bayashani, the Chachamim see a tragic error that he made, which at the surface you wouldn't see, would not seem so significant, that he insisted for a display of visible wood in the walls of the Beis HaMikdash. Three rows marble, which is stone, that's fine, and one row wood. And the Chachamim attribute to it such a sinister motive that here the man who was considered the greatest friend of the Jewish people was already planning its destruction. In case it doesn't work out, the fire should be able to catch easily, which is again quite strange. Kan kaidim shehechmetz, kan laacher shehechmetz. He became a shtikhametz. And the word the Gemara uses is Acher Shehechmetz. After he became like Chometz, which is either vinegar or Chometz or, or, you know, became sour. Became sour. Like sourdough is what creates Chometz, so it's also connected to Chometz. <coughs> Zoyer Teg, it's called in Yiddish. Zoyer Teg. Zoyer means sour. Sourdough. Yeah. Yeah. Now indeed, Kairish never had to burn down his structure because at the end of Bayesheni, Hurdus, Herod, rebuilt the whole thing and he rebuilt it in his own way. And that's the magnificent structures that Hurdus built all over the, all over Judea, all over Etisro. You see a lot of structures. They're called Herodian, Herodian era. He was a great architect. I'm a Shugana, but an architect. Uh, Marusha, but, uh, he was a brilliant architect, and he built, and he built extremely magnificent things. And the point of Gemara says that if you didn't see the structure of Hordus, the Beis Hamikdash, the way it looked after Hordus's renovation, you never saw a beautiful structure. Wood was missing. Yeah. So it says he made it. He he made it look like waves. It looked like uh, he used the. Uh, Mara says in the beginning of Baba Basra, he used marble, but he made it, 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 it had a look of the waves of the ocean, Gali Hayam. And then he decorated it with gold that the Chachamim were not happy about. They liked the waves. That's a whole separate schmooze. But not wood. Huh? He rebuilt it based on the Chachamim because he wanted to repent for what he did. He killed so many. Uh, Baba Ben Buddha told him to rebuild. 
the end. Yes, I'm saying Kairish, the Kairish's building never burned down. He never, he wanted it, maybe you'll have to burn it down. Lapoil, it was burned by the Romans, but much later, 420 years later. What does, what does all of this represent on a spiritual level? So let's apply it to the person's, li- the person's life, and then we'll see the connection here to the mind. Submerged, perhaps, but not on the outside. Kairish's problem was, the mistake of Kairish was, that by the Besamiktish there's a love. If you copy the Mishkan and the Besamiktish, it's an Avera. You weren't allowed to. It's not just they didn't do it because who needs it? You weren't allowed to. In other words, it's not just a structural thing. You need stone. If you want a permanent building, it's better with Havana. You weren't even allowed to have a supporting beam displayed. If you wanted wood, it had to be submerged. And that's what the Gemara says about Shloima. Malachi also had wood, but the wood, the wood was on top, and the wood was covered with plaster, and the wood was submerged in type inside the edifice. And by Kodesh, it was all visible. And the Rambam makes it one of the lavim, one of the 365 prohibitions, not to have wood that's displayed by the Mizbah, by the Besamekdash. Which, it's hard to understand. What's the grace of What's the big deal if you have a little wood? So the regular pshat they would say is because wood was used often for the asherus, used for idolatry, but here it's not being used for idolatry. It's almost like all wood became puzzle and then treif and you're not allowed to have it. Like Such a bad thing, wood. Asheri, you're not allowed to have it. It's wood that they turn into avodazara, a tree they turn into avodazara. But here, obviously, that's not the purpose. No, a biblical. Biblical, biblical. One of the loisasa, yeah. One of the loisasa. Ah, you could use a stone of So some say there was the minig they used to have in the Middle East. It was a common idolatry. There's explanations, but it needs beer. Why is it such a um, fun- fundamental issue? Alpinimius, alpinister. On a deeper spiritual level, this is what the Balatanya is explaining here. In a person's life, there's also doimim tzemei the four categories of creation exist inside of us. Because as ha'olam nasan belibam, as we said, the person is the pinnacle of creation. All of the world exists in you. The Pasuk says in Kahelis, as ha'olam nasan belibam. The entire cosmos, God places in the heart of a person. It says in Avaz de Rebnasan, oilam katan ha'adam. Every person is a miniature universe. In other words, as he says there, kol ma sheyesh ba'olam, yesh ba'adam. When you read about something in astronomy and cosmology and geology and botany and in a jungle somewhere in Africa or in Australia, the last thing you should think is this doesn't have to do with me. If you can't find that in your life, so then you don't know something about yourself. That's why the Baal Shem Tov said anything a Jew sees or hears is a lesson in Avodah Hashem. Why? <laughs> Maybe I just saw something. So it's not just because it's Bahashgach. If I saw it, God wanted me to see it. But it's also it also means if it's something in the world, <coughs> I'm a mirror of the whole world. I'm a miniature mirror of the whole world. And not in an arrogant way, in a responsible way. Because if the whole world exists in me, it means that I'm connected to it. I take a certain amount of responsibility for it. Yeah. But it's also beautiful. It's not just heavy, it's beautiful. Because it means you're connected, there's a connection. It's waiting for you. It's not, don't look at this in a Jewish guilt type of thing, you know. I know that's where we go right away, guilt, guilt, guilt. It's not about guilt. It's about the beauty of the cosmos, how connected we are. It's like the, the latest uh, physical science, which is unified string theory. String theory. 
Yeah, yeah, the unified string theory. And it's just the vibrations. Yes, that's the string theory, yeah? Yeah, and the string theory is really that connection. And that's the Chay of Adam Loimar, Bishvili Nivra Ha'olam. It's a Mishnah. What do you mean? The world was created for me, really. The world was created for me. Some kangaroo in Australia was created for me. And the elephants in Kruger's Park in South Africa were also created for me. So the pshat, the pshat is that there's something, there's something in a person that is at stake and the whole universe needs it. And there's a very deep connection. So this it says, Oilam Kotten Adam. Obviously, Reb Nossin from the Tanoyim. If it's in the world, it's in me. And if it's in me, it's also in the world. Obviously, not the same exact size and, and, and properties, but the concept, the energy is there. So, Daimim Tzameh Chaim Medaber exists also in the person. And there's the hierarchy in the person. Medaber. Medaber represents the highest form of human expression. Chai is a lower form of human expression. Tzameach is yet a lower form of human expression. And then you have Doimim. What's Doimim? Doimim is silence. Doimim is lifeless. Dormant from Doimim, maybe. I don't know. Anilayadeya, maybe. But it's it's certainly dormant. Yeah. That's why it's called daimim. And the classic example is, as he says, avonim and offer. Earth and stone are daimim. You just step on stone, you step on earth constantly. The earth doesn't say anything, the earth doesn't rebel, the earth doesn't revolt, the earth is just there. Yet in Kayalis it says, hakel hoyim in offer. Everything comes from the earth. Including Adam. Vayikach Hashem alakim, vayitzar Hashem alakim, asa Adam, we're offer min ha'adama. Hakel hoyim in offer. And the whole miracle of vegetation and produce and botany comes from where? It grows from the earth. We call earth Mother Earth. There's a reason we call it Mother Earth. Mom is the progenitor. Aim Kol Chai, right? Chav is Aim Kol Chai, the mother of all living beings. So, it's strange. The Mishkan, I understand. Daimim is on the bottom. Daimim belongs on the bottom. Suddenly by the Beis HaMikdash, which is the ultimate edifice of God, Daimim goes all the way to the top. What happened? Should be the other way around. They couldn't find another way to make the roof. We have one of the miracles in Prikayavas that the rain didn't extinguish the flames, the smokes of the Mizbech, because the Mizbech was outdoors. Because the Besamidish had two sections. One section was indoors, that's what we're talking about. The Kaidish Akadashim and the Hechel. That was all indoors and had a roof. But the the, that over there, the, the action wasn't so visible. Over there, there were a few things. It would light the menorah every day, and burn incense every day, and that was it. Basically, the lechem upon them once a week they would deal with. But the main action of the was all outdoors. The mizbeach hachitzin, the outside mizbeach, right over there, they offered all the animals and all of the meal offerings and the libations and the music outdoors. So even indoors, you want to have an indoors, you have to have an indoors. You could have found different ways of covering it. Dafka avonim. And as we see, you're not allowed to even have eight boilot. What does diamond mean in a person's life? At the surface, it would seem like the lowest. But essentially, on a deeper level, in the shayrish, it's the highest. And because it's the highest, it always comes out in the lowest. Because kol ha-gavoya b'yoyse, yoyed l'mata b'yoyse. 
So therefore, what's on the lowest on one level, and it's really on the lowest, when you go back to the root of it, it's the highest. And therefore, in the Mishkan, which reflected reality, on one level, Daimim is on the bottom. Semeach is higher. Chai is higher. The Beis Hamikdash, which was a reflection of a different dimension of reality, it looked at things the way they are in their shayrish, everything turned around. Suddenly, Daimim rose to the top. And there was no chai at all. And even the tzemeach had to be submerged. The chai was bechlal out. And, and tzemeach was submerged inside. In other words, you can have tzemeach. But the tzemeach is, is in the daimim. It's, it's part of the daimim. It's submerged. It's concealed by the daimim. The exact opposite, polar opposite of the mishkan. And in the oasis of the maimir, that a bias is usually built from avonim. The ultimate bias. You can have a bias of wood. But the ultimate bias, the base Avon, like the base Hamikdash, is base Chaima, Avon. Where the Levushim are usually Tzemeach. And Mazoin can be either Tzemeach or Chai. And on one level, Mazoin is so much closer to us, it's what we eat. We eat animal, or we eat Tzemeach. Garments are even closer to us, and you don't wear garments of stones, and you don't wear garments of earth, and you don't eat earth. But the bias, which is furthest from us, is actually called Makif Arachik, which is the deepest place. And it comes out Lamata in Avanim and Afra and Daimim. And that's the whole introduction to the, how it works in the Beis Hamikdash to understand the mile of the Beis Hamikdash over the Mishkan and the Chisarin of Kodesh. So all of this are ISIS. What, what, what does this mean? And how we, what do we take out of this? How do we relate to this? So here we actually come across a very powerful idea. And I'm just thinking how to explain the idea. I'm using a model. I don't know that this model is the... You could use a lot of models and illustrations, but I think this will uh, will help us understand it best. There's a debate, a long-standing debate in the world of psychology about what's the best way of treating people and their internal struggles. One, one, one process is known as psychoanalytical focus very much on psychoanalysis. And the other one is focused, it's called behavioral. And the difference, we understand the difference. One approach says, you know, your pipes are stuck in your ceiling, yeah? You need a good plumber to get into the pipe with a flashlight. And what we call b'dikas chametz b'chayrim b'zdakim. You got to get into the cracks and find all the chametz there and clean it up. <laughs> the person's body has a lot of pipes. <laughs> we have only 100 billion pipes. Not so many. 100 billion pipes to deal with. They're called neurons, right? Or nerve cells. Some even say there's more. But I think 100 billion is enough to deal with. And each one has a bahalach. <laughs> <laughs> they're all connected to the brain, and they all send messages all day, all night, nonstop, plus a hundred trillion cells. So what are you going to do with this? So psychoanalysis says, let's, let's try to deal with some of the pipes. You go in and you analyze, and you dissect, and of course, you have to go back to, we have to go back to child, and we always have to go back to your mother. Mommy's always guilty. And matayv to your father, and if possible, the zayda and the baba. As long as you go all the way, go back to chava and the nachash and the snake, and you'll find it all. 
But it's really a very deep process. I know, I know a person who's been in psychoanalysis for 40, 50 years. He tells me it's the highlight of his week. He goes twice a week to be analyzed, to explain every motive and why he said this and why he felt this and why he thought this, etc. And the truth is, it's an interesting to speak to him because he's very self-aware. A lot of people are very not self-aware, but he's quite self-aware. And it's just, it's almost like his, you know, people go for massages every week and they go to uh, chiropractic adjustments every week and he goes for his... Uh, psychoanalytical lesson every week with a, his psychoanalyst explains to him why he's crazy. Okay. Huh? You like it? Okay. Cost, it cost him 475 but if you, you put it on the budget, and the truth is we all need somebody to speak to. Everybody needs to. When there's anxiety in you, you have to speak. The Gemara says, one of the interpretations. So uh, this is not a new concept. But this is basically the process that believes that you have to go into the mess and try to undo it and find clarity. There's another shitta. The other shitta, it's more modern, is more behavioral. And that focuses on the fact that if you go into the, the deep, intricate layers uh, and the complexities of the human psyche and you try to excavate the sub-layers and the sub-sellers and the many strata of, of data in the human psyche, <laughs> you may get stuck there. And really, a person should be focusing on actions, behavior, day-to-day behavior, how I live. And there's those who advocated the first and those who advocated the second. And ultimately, today, most will tell you, that you need a combination. There's this process, there's the value in this, there's the value in this. Depends on the person, depends on the situation. Sometimes, if you completely ignore psychoanalysis, you only focus on behavior, the darkness is too deep. The person may not be capable. If a person is living in a prison, tell them, behave. I can't. I'm paralyzed. You have to be able to deal with that. Sometimes, ah? The body keeps the score. The body holds the score, yeah. And, uh, and conversely, so you know, these are these are big discussions and so forth. But there's really a third component, and the third component is a very powerful idea, and it's one of the ideas that the Balatanya has in quite a few Maimarim. I'll just say it, and then I'll explain it. And this is, I think, part of what he's saying here. What looks like daimim really touches the unconscious. What looks like daimim, that house built of stones, which doesn't even seem connected to you, really touches a place in you that you're unaware of. In the oasis of the Maimer, that which is makif le makif, or makif harachik beyond makif hakarif. Where does it come out? It comes out in the lamata, in the lowest manifestation of life, where everything seems lifeless, which is daimim. Now what is daimim in a person's life? Daimim in a person's life can also be called bittel. Or it could be called silent commitment. There's two aspects in a life. Sometimes I do things because I understand that this is the right thing. I do things because I feel it's the right thing. I do things, I enjoy doing them or not doing them. In other words, there's an element of self-actualization here. 
I see the value, and through this I become self-actualized. In other words, when I'm involved in this, I feel like I'm growing. I feel like a tzoymeach. Or at least I feel like a chai, I'm alive. Or I even feel like I'm a dabra, I'm a human being. But then there are moments in life, you can call them daimim. What is daimim? <coughs> daimim means silent. <coughs> what is this in a person's life? In a person's life, it means that sometimes a person does something and I don't feel self-expression here. I don't feel any self-actualization here. I don't feel I'm growing. On the contrary, what did I just do? On one level, it seemed like I surrendered. I'm doimim, I'm silent, I'm mute in the process. On one level, it's taka the lowest, on one level. How do you compare doimim to techaivas? It's like, it's like dead. It's lifeless, it's silent. But that's deceiving. <laughs> on the level of ishtalshalos, in the level of giluyim, on the level of conscious reality, there, yeah, of course. When you look at pnimius, when you look at the courts, it's mamish the opposite. In the place of not nasavinishma, the bitlhadas, the bitlharatsan, the suspension of of the need for self-actualization to the truth that's completely beyond me, here lay not only the ultimate truth, but the ultimate truth of the person. And you see this in people's lives also. It's not pshat, to psychoanalysis, and then there's behavior. And behavior says, listen, we don't have time for this, let's just, let's just do things. It's sometimes much deeper than that. Behavior, which sometimes seems external, fake, superficial, dead, lifeless. It's just behavior. It's behavior. There's nothing there. It's chitzonius. It's doimim. That has a power to bring to life and trigger and rejuvenate and shock, like a shock, the etzim. That is deeper than everything. Dafka behavior. The place that's unconscious, how do you reach there? You can't reach it through analysis. Analysis will never take you there. Analysis will take you to deep places, but very limited places. Sometimes very important. Sometimes very important places to figure out your patterns. But sometimes behavior, which seems external and not much there, what's the big deal? So you behave this way. So you smiled. So you smiled to your spouse. You came home at night. You came home at night. You're in a bad mood. You're overwhelmed. You're stressed out. Plus you have a virus. Plus you have a flu. Plus you have the headache. Plus you're congested. Right? (coughs) Thank you. Also a therapist. We have a lot of therapists, by the way. That's why I have to be careful with every word because they're psychoanalyzing me constantly. <laughs> right? So you say, and then you come home and you're completely not in the mood, not interested, but to something you learn how to behave to your spouse, how to respond when she gives you a Kabbalah's ponim the way she gives you, or your child gives you a Kabbalah's But That response, I don't feel it. It didn't come from me. <laughs> it's doimim. I'm basically copying the script. Right? 
on one hand, it's empty. On the other hand, on a deeper level, that emptiness creates what you would call, if you want to use the word, new neural pathways. It creates new dimensions. It almost brings to life a part of you that you need desperately, which is your makif arachik, which is your core, which is beyond consciousness. Huh? It's not fake it till you make it. It's not fake it till you make it. This fake it till you make it in a good way, there's also fake it till you make it that can be also not so, you know, people sometimes fake it and fake it and fake it and still fake it. Yeah. Neuroplasticity, yeah. Neuroplasticity is a part of human nature. One of the mistakes of the like science of KTH is like that You don't have to be afraid to say it. What do you mean by davening? What do you mean when you say davening? It's daimim you're saying. Ah, yeah. Now here there's always an important qualification. A person could become a robot and a zombie just following other people's scripts. We're not talking about that. Then the daimim taka remains a daimim. Right? And that's why one has to be very sensitive, and that's why you didn't start with the Beis HaMikdash, you started with the Mishkan. Because <laughs> if you start with the Beis HaMikdash, you have to start with the Mishkan. Because it's very nice, I could just tell you, you know, your feelings don't matter. <laughs> your mind doesn't matter. Who you are really doesn't matter. It really... Kachamar la'oil, kachamar Gemara says, you'll be like kachamar la'oil, kachamar a donkey, a horse... Take the burden and go, and this is what you do, and just follow a script. A daimim? Fine, be a daimim. The whole base Hamikdash was built from daimim. And the moment you say, but I'm not here, I'm not present. Oh, who are you, Bichlal? You have to be very careful. That's the other side, and I'm emphasizing this, because it could be very not uh, healthy for a person. The daimim on one level is the lowest. In the Mishkan, the daimim was on the bottom. When one appreciates the truth of daimim, you understand that the shayrish of daimim is higher than everything. But this is a daimim that comes from strength, from empowerment, from clarity, not from suppression and negation and subjugation. It's the daimim that allows you to liberate yourself from the finite parameters of your consciousness. And in that sense, it becomes the most liberating experience that I'm capable of always connecting to a place that is beyond what I call right now me. Because the part that I call right now me is going to be limited by my consciousness. Not because I'm bad, but because I'm a limited person. And it's the daimon which is expressionless, which on one level is the lowest, because it's expressionless. But on a deeper level, you know why it's expressionless? Because it's beyond expression. That's the koyach of daimim. The mata mata of daimim, the fact that it has no expression is because it comes from a place that is beyond expression, which is plimbiya which is beyond atzillus, 
which is atik, which is makifarachik, which is beyond consciousness. So it's just like the mitzvah of shikha is rooted in that place, just like malchus is rooted in that place. Doimim is rooted in that place. In Torah Vayigash, the Baltan says this was the chilik of Yosef and Yehuda. Yosef means growth. Lahoysef. Yehuda means submission. Oida, hoida, moidemanachnullah. Submission, surrender. Yehuda was very suspicious of Yosef. It turns out in history, Yosef had to be the king before Yehuda. Because Yosef's kingship was the hachana for Yehuda. But the ultimate is Yehuda. Va'avdi David Malchus based David. What was David? David is Malchus. David is Doimim. The Besamikdash was built by Malchus based David. David and Shlaima. The Besamikdash was Doimim. Shiloi was Yosef still, and it was the intermediary from the Mishkan to get to the Besamikdash. The intermediary was the Mishkan of Shiloi, where the walls already were from stone, but the roof was still high. It wasn't from stone yet. Mashiach ben Yosef comes before Mashiach ben David. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what happens? The Gemara says in Sanhedrin of Kuf Gimel, Yeravim ben Avot. Who was Yeravim ben Avot? When Shloime passed away, Rechavim took over. When Rechavim took over, the people came to him and said, You got to ease the tax burden. Your father gave too, much, too, too many taxes for your father because you wanted to build the Besamikdash. And Yerav Rechavim asked advice from two sets of advisors. The older senior statesman who served his father and the young chevre that he used to hang out with in 7-Eleven, in the, you know, in the pizza shops. It says his old chavim that he used to hang out and they would play football in the park. The older statesman said, the people are right, you're not your father. You know, lower the burden. And the younger one said, no, no, go stronger on them. The older ones told them, the only way you're going to get the people's loyalty is if you show them that you're, you're subservient to them. If you're going to be an evid for the people, you'll be able to be their melech. And the younger one said, no, 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 you got to go with an iron fist. So what happened? They revolted. And the Jewish people split. And this split completely weakened the fabric of Klal Yisrael and caused the Chorban Bayis Rishon and the expulsion of the Ten Shvatim. This happened right after Shloyma's death in the days of Rechavim. And who became the second king? Yeravim ben Avot. Yeravim was who? He was from the family of Ephraim. Ephraim was the son of Yosef. The Malchus went away from Yehuda back to the way it was in Egypt where Yosef was the king and everybody was, everybody was bowing down to Yosef. It went back to Yosef. Although there was the Melech Yehuda, but he only had two tribes under him. Yeravim ben Nevat resurrected Avodah in the Jewish world. He built not one golden calf, he built two. One in Dan and one in Bethel. He prohibited pilgrimage to Yerushalayim. He didn't want them to go to the Beis HaMikdash. He kept them away. He changed Sukkot from Sukkot became from Tishrei, became Cheshvan. That's what the Gemara says in Pesachim. We learned two days ago in Kolam Avaza, Samoyedes, Kilo Eved Because Yeravim understood that the most powerful thing that keeps tradition alive by Jews is Shabbos and the holidays. Because that's when families experience the tradition. They don't talk about it, they experience it with the, with the Knedlach. With the Kishka, with the Kogel. Somebody once said, I used to be an atheist, but I became religious because they don't have any holidays. <laughs> One problem he had with atheism, how can you make a holiday? What, what are you going to celebrate? The random mutation of bacteria, <coughs> of helium and hydrogen? What are you going to celebrate? 
Well, you said Labor Day, but that doesn't always work. Not if you're Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Excuse me for a moment. <laughs> so what happens now? The Gemara says, Yerav Menavot was the Mishnah says, In Sesson Sanhedrin, Kuv Gimel, he was the, from the Goine Hador. Yerav Menavot was one of the greatest of the generation. So the Gemara says in Sanhedrin that Hashem came to him and said, Chazor, me, you, and David HaMelech will stroll in Gan Eden. So Yeravim said, who's going to go first? So he said, David HaMelech. So he said, if so, I don't want to. So the Balatanya says in Torah Vayigash, which he references here in this Maimon, and this Maimon, and that Maimon references this Maimon, he says, a half moited the Kavar. Because when you read the Gemara, there's something strange. When he said, when Hashem said, do tshuva, me, you, and Ben Yishai will stroll in Gan Eden. He said who's going first. You. Ani, Va'ata, or Ben Yishai. Then Yeravim said, who's going first? He says, David. Well, the first time around, Hashem said that Yeravim is going first. Second time around, God said he's going first. So if you don't understand how to read these stories, you say, oh, it's not Meduyik. <laughs> really? It's not Meduyik? God didn't know, God didn't know the order when he said it the first time? It's very Meduyik. But when Yeravim asked, it's almost like he ruined it. By asking, he ruined it. So the Alter Rebbe says, it's, 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 it, the, the richness of it is very powerful. Yeravim is from Yosef. Yosef is the king before Yehuda. You can't go to the Beis HaMikdash if you don't go through the Mishkan. You can't really surrender if you don't appreciate your personality. Because the ultimate surrender must come from a place that is deeper than the self, not lower than the self. The ultimate doimim is the doimim of the Beisamitr that comes after the Mishkan. So Yosef has to precede Yehuda. In other words, the real doimim has to be one that follows Yosef, not precedes Yosef. Yosef is first the Melech, and then Yehuda could be the Melech. What does this mean in a person's life? The ultimate state of life is complete oneness. Complete oneness needs bitul hadas, bitul haratzen. A place where I say, I know nothing, and I want nothing. And that's when you can start living but if you start that way, I know nothing, I want nothing, <laughs> I am nothing. It may be true, but it's abusive. Why? Because it's not true. The power of daimim is that it's rooted in makif harachik. When daimim becomes an excuse for intellectual death, emotional death, death of creativity, death of personality, then... Uh, <laughs> Why is Nasev before Nishma so, so exalted? We're, we're starting with Nasev and Nishma came after Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, after Kriyas Yamsuf, after the Ten Makas. God didn't walk over to them and say, uh, 613 mitzvahs, Nasev and Nishma. There was quite a display, there was quite a display of uh, love. <laughs> How does it start? How does Matan Taita start in Yisrael? He doesn't come and say, I want to give you... <laughs> now, you want a real relationship with me, you want a real relationship with yourself, the ultimate relationship is going to be in Nasa. 
even more than Nishma. That is episode two already. Always. Now the emes is that the year Shemayim of Ayid, the bittel of Ayid, even on the lowest level, is rooted in the highest bittel. The lowest level of year Shemayim, or bittel, which seems expressionless, is rooted in the higher form, which is also expressionless. But the process of growing into it is Yosef, growth, and then Yehuda. Yehuda didn't understand that, so he thought Yosef is a threat. Yosef is not a threat. Mitzias is not a threat to Bittel. Mitzias is a hachonet to Bittel. Real Mitzias is a real hachonet to Bittel. Yeravim Benavot knows everything. He's very deep. God says, do tshuva. And you, me, you, and David will stroll in Gan Eden. What's this strolling in Eden? Strolling in Eden means, Balatanya says, there will be a gilu ein soif, a stroll is like a ple- you know pleasurable. It's delightful. There'll be a gilui ein soiv b'ha'order rabba v'atzuma. He says in Torah Ervayigash that you and David Amalek and me will experience. So Ben Yiravim got it. I'm first. He knows it. But he says me be'roish. Who's really first? <laughs> Who's really on top? Is it me or David Amalek? Is it the Mishkan or the Beis Hamikdash? Is it Mashiach Ben Yosef or Mashiach Ben David? In other words, at the ultimate, ultimate end of truth, is it about yeshes or bittel? <laughs> so he said, Ben Yishai Beresh, you gotta be first now. Because at the end of Shloyma's life, they weren't ready for David yet. They had to go back to Yosef. They went back to Yeravim. You're first. But ultimately it's Ben Yishai. Mashiach comes from David. Meaning they didn't grow enough? They didn't grow enough to be able to surrender. <laughs> To be ready for Malchus based David, you have to work through Yosef. You understand? Surrender always must come from the place of the deepest power. The greatest people surrender in the deepest ways. Understand that. A small person can't surrender. It's too insecure. The greatest people will surrender in the deepest ways because they're the greatest people. Always, that's how it is. You can see it even in scientists. Greatest scientists don't speak about Godhead. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see. Huh? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the pseudo scientists that are not great, you know, are still protecting tenure and trying working for the Nobel Prize and want to make sure the New York Times loves them, etc. But uh, once you hit that point of greatness, and you and 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 your only focus is truth, then you have to surrender. What does this mean in a person's life? What does it mean in a person's life? Sometimes what looks like daimim will be the greatest blessing in your life. It looks like external behavior. It's 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 nothing. It's daimim. For example, so it was, your children don't have a good relationship with you. Sit down every night on the floor and play a game. But I'm not in the mood. And it's not coming from inside. So what? It's actions, behaviors. So it's not a question of psychoanalysis versus behavior. Let me sit in therapy five years and figure out why I'm this type of father and why my kids respond this way. You could do that. <laughs> but from Misa, you're going to go to a deeper place in yourself that you didn't know about. You're going to get to your makif arachik. Now, some people are black and white. 
psychoanalysis has a very valuable contribution to make. Because sometimes people have to understand why they're so messed up. <laughs> that wasn't so nice. Sometimes people have to understand why they're so traumatized. Okay, that sounds beautiful, no? Much nicer. Not messed up, but traumatized. It's good to know. Why? For one reason. So you should know not to take it so seriously. Not to worship it. It's just something that happened. It exists in me. It's very important. Behavior is sometimes very external, especially when you're copying other people. There's nothing there. An MS doimim brings out that which can't be expressed. And that's why it comes out in Misa, in Bittel, which is also expressionless. Because if you would feel it, it wouldn't reach that place in you which is beyond feeling, beyond experience. That's Ben Yishai. That's Ben Yishai. Yeravim wasn't ready for that. Yeravim ultimately at the end of the day, he wanted his eye to be present. What did Kairish do? Now we'll understand the depth with Kairish. We'll finish with this. Kairish, he put wood in the Besamekdash. It looked big deal. He wanted design. He wanted diversity. Marble, 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 wood. Marble, 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 marble. Your wife is a designer. She would also say the same thing, no? Huh? I don't know. Actually, it's nice to have plain marble, but Kodesh had his taste, fine. He had his magazines that he used to look at. So the Gemara says, because he wanted to burn down the Beis HaMikdash. He was a Yiddish kind. He was Esther's kid, according to many. So you want to, in case the Jews rebel, it's like a second plan B. In case the Jews rebel, the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah Davdal, if the Jews rebel, I'll be able to burn it. Weird way of building something, Right? You build this beautiful mansion for your daughter-in-law and your son, but in case they rebel, you make sure you can burn it down and collect insurance. But in Kaidish's days, there was no... But it's a very strange thing. So the way he explains it here, it's a much deeper Indian. The second base Hamikdash was being built, but there was something rotten still. There was something not worked out yet. Shleimer built the first base Hamikdash and he made sure there's no eight sticking out. Kurdish wanted eight sticking out. What is this in Isis of Chassidus? He wanted the yeshes to still remain. He wasn't ready for real bittle. I'm ready to have stone, but I need the eights. Now, we don't mind that there's eights. We like eights. We want growth. We want creativity. We want expression. We want life. But how is the eights in the base of Mikdash? It's inside the Evan. It's shake bibinyana. It's part of the, it's part of the relationship. It's part of the bittel. God doesn't want zombies. God wants successful people. Part of real bittel is self-expression, self-actualization. He doesn't want you to be a nobody. He wants you to be a conduit of the infinite light. David Amelech was not a shmata. <laughs> David Amelech was a warrior, as we explained. His whole power came from his powerlessness. The greatest leaders are the leaders who surrender and they become conduits. But over there, the yesh is a chilek of the bitl. The eights is in the evan. Kodesh wanted the eights to stick out separately. So the Gemara says, why? Because he was planning, maybe he'll have to burn it down. What does this mean spiritually? It means, ah, I control it, A, and B, you basically deprive it from its eternity. You deprive it from its eternity. The power of daimim is, because it looks dead, it never dies. 
So mechaya medaber can die. Daimim never dies. A stone never dies. Or in Yiddish there's an expression, bitl kenish bottle venom. The only thing that can't be nullified is self-nullification. Everything else could be nullified. Metzias can be nullified. Bittel kenish bottle venom. The moment the Beis Hamikdash had the wood in it, it allowed itself to be burnt. What does this mean in a person's life? What will allow you to create eternal relationships that will never be destroyed is if you have the doimim. If my relationships are based on my feelings of when things are right, some days I'm in the mood and some days I'm not in the mood. The relationships, I'll build bridges. I'll burn bridges. If I want to guarantee the eternity of those bridges, I have to introduce into my life that element of bitl hadas, of bitl haratzim. That aligns you with the ultimate truth, with eternity, and that never changes. Because it's not based on ego. And therefore it becomes eternal. This was Kairish's mistake. Because bitl kenish batl But for that... I have to surrender my I. And that's not easy. Yeravim ben Avot didn't agree. And we can understand Yeravim ben Avot. Yeravim ben Avot, at the end of the day, he said, I want to be there. I want the I there. <laughs> it has to be in my experience. He wasn't ready for that complete oneness. It says Mashiach ben Yosef is going to get killed, the Gemara says, before Mashiach ben David. The opposite of Yeravim ben Avot. Yeravim ben Avot took away from David. And Mashiach ben Yosef, really Yosef, was a hachana for David. So the Mishkan Shilai, which was by Yosef, is the intermediary between the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash. Because Yosef is the hachana to Yehuda. That's why he was in Shilai. So you had the Mishkan in the desert, you have the Mishkan in Shilai, and then you have the Beis HaMikdash, which was all avonim, all stone. Which stone is doimim, oisius, in davening, what is it? In davening, it's till Shmeinesra and Shmeinesra. Which part of davening is silent? Shmeinesra. It should have been the other way around. Shmeinesra is the ultimate. That's when anybody should scream. Even in Karlin. Even in Karlin, where they scream by Shmeinesra. What happens? Psukhadazimna shreistu. Yihichvoid aleluka shreist. You count every word like pearl. But suddenly Baruch atah Hashem. Ah? Shmenesra is Daimim. What says Daimim? Silence. Why silence? There's a silence that's inferior to noise. There's a silence that transcends noise. In other words, sometimes I'm quiet because I'm not interested. <laughs> You know, when somebody, I'm, not, I'm just not in I'm quiet. I'm not saying anything because I'm not really here. That's the daimim that's lower than noise. Then you have, Psukhadazim, you have Birchis Krishma, Vaifanam, Vichayas Hakoidish, Biraj Godel Misnasim. Why? Because they're Chayas Hakoidish. They're Chayas. Chayas in a good way, I mean. Chayas Hakoidish. Chay. But then starting with Krishna, and especially Shmanesra, so already starts with Krishna Vayikach Ma'avnei Amakim, and especially uh, especially Shmuel Esra is the beginning of Daimim. 
In other words, in the presence of the full truth, there's an element of silence. Not because the relationship is weaker, because the relationship is much deeper. Silence, though, in the form of silence, it's a silence in the form of tuning in. Tuning into the infinite. Into the real and what's the ultimate silence in life? The ultimate silence in life was when I'm not even aware of that silence. And then I can really tune in because there's no I tuning in. That's the word of the Magid. When the Menagin becomes a Nigin. When the Menagin loses his separateness and he becomes the Nigin. It's very, it's very powerful ideas in life that the doimim touches the etzem. Ah, why painful? Not, painful. not really painful. The yesh wants bittel. You're living. If the yesh was a real yesh, it would be painful. If the yesh was a real, but since the emes of the yesh is the bitloich, because bitl is the emes, so when the yesh becomes bottle, that's tefridin. It's a burden for a yesh to be a yesh. He doesn't want to be a yesh. You think it's easy for an ego to be an ego? <laughs> you know how much, you know how much you have to invest in building. It's like Bernie Madoff's Ponzi schemes. You know how much money you have to invest. You know how many lies you have to tell yourself to build an ego. And you feed it with lies. It's such a burden. The moment you can tell the yesh, the dafsnish, that's fine, you can let go. He's happy. He he won't trust you, so he won't tell you that he's happy. Because he learned already that he is everything. But once you really let let you once you let him really go, ah, machaya. Machaya. People who don't have to live with self consciousness, it's the easiest way of living. Huh? Walk into a room like a doimam. It's the best way to live. No self-consciousness. They used to call you a glump, yeah? It's a beautiful compliment. You didn't realize. Yeah? You ever told you? You never had somebody who told you that? You know what a honim b'nei adam is? By kaparis, we say, What does the chicken look like? When you're saying Bnei Adam, it's a chicken. It says, One of those Yiddish uh, self-esteem boosters. You're basically like a chicken. You're looking at me like a chicken by Bnei Adam. In other words, like an idiot. Right? But the guy who told it to you didn't realize what a beautiful message he was telling you. You should be able to be like a diamond. He was looking at you like a chicken of understand? Because he looked at himself like a chicken of Adam. But imagine you could walk into a room like a diamond. Huh? So, so there were people like that. Not that they weren't, they were fully alive. They were so alive that they were one with life, so they weren't self-conscious. You walk in, you're not self-conscious. I'm here, I'm not here, he's looking at me, he's not looking at me, I think this. I... They weren't disturbed with the consciousness that comes from ego. That's called real presence. Such a person is present beyond. Huh? Completely present. 
Because there's nothing to distract you. There's only presence. There's only presence. Usually I'm distracted. My thoughts, my feelings, I don't want to be, I have to be here. What are you thinking? Why am I, you know, all these types of things. Which is a very normal thing. We walk in somewhere, we're self-conscious. Even Shiner's Shul, people are self-conscious. Maybe less than other places, but still. You have this in small children? Small children, yeah. Small children have it. Yeah. The problem with presence, you can only be presence in the present. That's true. <laughs> what looks like without self-actualization, you can't reach that state. So, right. In, in, other, in other words, without realizing your full potential, probably you would never be in that state. Right. The ultimate doimim comes after the... Because otherwise doimim would be... First doimim is on the bottom. And then la'asid love, it says doimim will be elevated to its shayrish. Eishas chayel ateres baila. Yeah. No, it's brought that the Aishas, femininity, throughout history was seen as subservient to masculinity. But really in the Shairish, femininity is higher than masculinity. A terrorist by Leia. It's a concept by Kala under the hook. She doesn't say one word. Yeah. So Aishas Chayla refers to actually men's quality of the feminine part. Yeah, yeah. You see, throughout history, women were naturally more subservient to men, right? And it was part of history. Today, it's the opposite. <laughs> so you have two sides of it. You have the way it's misconstrued. But in the Shairish, the point is that as we come closer to the completion of things, so the koyach habitl that women have, which is more than men, which is why they're the mothers of our children, hakal offer. Just like the offer, you put the seed in and that's where it gets produced. The seed of humanity is placed in the woman who is like earth and she produces everything. The koyach habitl is much stronger and when the shayrish of the bitl comes out, automatically femininity is elevated to a different place. But without sacrificing the value of femininity. In other words, when you only have secular language, you don't have spiritual language, so the feminist revolution can be very counterproductive. Because all it says is you need men who said uh, the glorious star, one of the great feminists, women need men like fish need bicycles. Right? In other words, you don't need men, you don't need marriage, you don't need families, just become judges and lawyers and go to work at 8 o'clock in the morning with your attaché cases. And whatever men have, you should also have. But really it was the most insulting thing for women. The most insulting thing you could tell somebody is, that when you reach your when you reach your ultimate greatness, you'll be able to copy everything that men do. <laughs> you'll get paid like them. You go to the military like them. You'll serve. You'll vote like them. You'll serve in the highest levels of politics like them. You'll become the president of the United States. Great, beautiful. But what about what women have to give to the world, <laughs> which is irreplaceable? Yeah. Yeah. Spiritual femininity is so much deeper. The Mayanukvin, yeah. My question was, when you see that, 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 that you have to be a, a self in order to be bitful that, in order to get the true domain. Yeah. Is that what the Gemur means, perhaps, when it says it's a topsy-turvy world, what you see? Yeah. Oilam hafuch ra'isi. The Gemara, yeah. A beautiful Gemara, right? 
that Yosef became sick. He became sick and he was in a comatose state, near-death experience, what we call today. He came back, his father said, what did you see? Topsy-turvy world. Those who are on top in this world are on bottom in that world. Those who are on bottom in this world were on top in this world. So on one level it means that, you know, sometimes people who are considered great in this world, next world, it's not that way. On a much deeper level, it's what we're talking about. What seems in this world as the lowest, in the Shairish is really the highest. Doimim is higher than Semeach Hayim Edaber. And that came out in the Beis HaMikdash, because the Beis HaMikdash was a foretaste of the future, of Yom Shekuloi Shabbos HaMenucha. The Mishkan was a prerequisite. So the Mishkan actually follows the hierarchy of our world. The Beis HaMikdash follows the Shairish of the hierarchy. The root, the source, and in the source it's the opposite. Daimim is higher. And it comes lower, it comes down lower. So there is this, the home which is made of stone, it's not made of animals or made of, of garments of, of, of tzemech, it's made, or chai, it's made of avonim. Over there comes out the makif harachik of a person. In your home comes out a deeper part of you more than in the food and in the garments. That's why a home is so important. A home is like that unconscious net of safety that allows you to be alive. When people have a home that they can call home, there's something at their core. It's not tangible. It's not tangible. It's like, if I take away your house, what are you missing? I'll give you a place to sleep. I'll give you food. You take away the core. <laughs> I may have a bed. I may have a bed. Somebody will let me sleep in your basement. I'm not... Right? You're gonna, but, but something at the core is missing. A person needs a home. Child needs a home. What does a home give? It's not just, I have a place to hang up my jacket. I can hang up my jacket in your house. You'll be nice. You let me hang up my jacket. Yeah, people, you put the, keep their clothes in a locker in a mikveh. Fine, you can have it. I'm not talking about other practical stuff. If you have a big family, you need more place. But the point is, even if I'm a person alone, the home gives something at a core, at your core. It's like you have a place called yours, that makes you, you. And now, you could be productive. Now you could grow, you could blossom. And that touches a place that's not so tangible. It's not, uh, you can't always pinpoint it. That's why people whose homes are damaged, their homes are not safe places. There's something at the core that is very compromised. Yeah, you could run away to camp, and you could go to a dormitory, you can go here, and you can go there, and you'll be fine in terms of physical protection and safety, but you don't have a home. It's not a house, it's a home. But on that deepest level, why is it built yourself? Of course. Of course, it begins with yourself. Everybody have a beautiful day and a lot of atzlacha. Can you connect the feminist movement with what? Can you connect the feminist movement with Oh. Maybe, maybe. In other words, there's the, the feminist revolution in the positive sense. And then there is, uh, you know. How'd they burn it? No wood. You saying you can't burn stone? Ask me this question. I don't know. Did they burn it? Did they burn the the, the walls and the roof? You're saying? Uh, what does a fire do? Huh? 
probably, I understand that the interior, the interior was burnt, you know? That could destroy You wonder how they just physically destroyed the Beis Amikdash with all these stones. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.